engine light on? Take the guesswork out of your check engine light with O'Reilly Veriscan. It's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASE certified master technicians. And if you need help, we can recommend a shop for you. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 259. And today in the show, we are breaking down the ridiculously successful 2018 hunting season had by my friend, Andy May, with the goal of helping us all learn how to become more efficient bow hunters. Hey guys, before we officially kick off the show, I wanted to just share a a couple quick thoughts, I guess, as this is our last episode of 2018, and this year has been, it's been a big one. There have been so many changes and new projects and new partnerships, not to mention the changes in my regular life, uh, a la having a baby and all that, And, and all along the way through all of that, you guys and girls, the Wired Hunt community have stuck along for the ride and you've followed along and you've supported me and Wired to Hunt and you've shared your stories and your feedback and your questions. And it's, it's just something that I want you to know that I'm paying attention to and that I'm appreciating so, so much. You know, I end each one of these episodes by saying thank you. Hopefully most of you guys are, are making it to the end and hearing that. But if not, if not, I wanted to make sure to bump this up to the very beginning because it's just that important. You need to hear this. You know, Wired to Hunt is nothing without all of you. This community that you all have formed around this whitetail hunting lifestyle and that I've just been lucky enough to be able to serve through Wired to Hunt, it is a badass thing. So I wanted to make sure you all knew that. And moving on, as I mentioned, this is also the last episode of the year. So I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays Hopefully you're going to be able to get out there and still do some hunting here before the end of the year. Um, hopefully you'll have some snow, some cold weather, maybe get a delicious uh, Christmas backstrap on the grill for the holidays. All those good things I hope are in your future. And one other Christmas-related thing, a little house-cleaning item that uh, I guess I should mention here is that we do still have that 20% off promo on Wired to Hunt hats, shirts, and decals. Just head on over to TheMeatEater.com if you're interested You'll see the store there. You can use the promo code WIRED at checkout. That's W-I-R-E-D. And that is it from me here on the front end. We've got a really interesting episode for you today with one of the very best deer hunters that I personally know. And every time that I get him on the podcast, I'm particularly excited because I know that he's going to have some thoughts and some experiences that are going to help me 
and all of you. So let's just get right to it. All right, welcome to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And I'm here today with my good buddy, Andy May. And uh, and Andy, it's kind of interesting. I was just sitting here thinking about this. For like five, well, maybe not five years, but for several years, probably two to three years, I was begging you to come onto the podcast, and you would never do it. And then finally, like, we broke the seal last summer, and now all of a sudden I feel like you're, you're liking it because you keep on accepting my invitations to come back. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you uh, opened up to it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was uh... – very reluctant at first. Um, I actually had, you know, a hunting beast ask me and a couple other people. And it just, it was just a little out of my comfort zone, I guess. Um, that was the only reason I was just, uh, you know, nervous. I'd sound like an idiot and just, I didn't feel like, uh, I'd be real interesting to talk to, but you know, once we did it, it was fine. It's just like talking, you know, with anybody about hunting so it works yeah man the key for me is that i just accepted that i sound like an idiot and i just <laughs> <laughs> just embrace that and move forward <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's been the key to my success yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> so so you know we we've had a handful of podcasts together now over the last uh, year and a half or so um we've dove into a couple different topics you were on one of the q a podcasts with me and dan you were on the show, obviously, where you and me broke down our Nebraska hunt together. Um, but but you and me, we got to talking the other day when we were covering Frank, just about how you had, you know, and like you do every year, you had such an incredible season here in 2018. And me and Corey and Furter and, and Dustin were all kind of standing around like, geez, oh, Pete, like how does he have so much success every single year without like almost no vacation time? Um, it's not like you've got some huge fancy farm or anything. I mean, you're hunting public land or by permission stuff. You're doing it after work or little weekends here and there. And somehow this year you killed a mule deer, an antelope, uh, two mature bucks in Michigan and a mature buck in Ohio. Um, and that's just kind of the norm for you. You're, we kind of on our group text message thread, me and my buddies just referred to you as like the machine. And we say that very negatively and with a lot of bitterness. <laughs> so, so Andy, what I'm what I'm wanting to do today, if you're up for it, um, and if you're not, feel free, we can just hang it up and we can we can go our separate ways. But if you're if you're down, uh, I kind of wanted to just kind of walk through your season, kind of hear, kind of use the 2018 season, I guess, as as like this example that maybe the mm-hmm. rest of us can learn from, and kind of try to break down how you are so damn efficient how you do this stuff on a pretty short amount of time, uh, you know, without a lot of the advantages that some other people might have. Um, so, so yay or nay, is that, uh, is that a game plan you're up for? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go for it. All right, cool. Um, uh, before we do go any further, I just gotta say this was a particularly cool year. I feel like, because, you know, you, we've, we've, we've talked for quite a number of years now you, you did a couple podcasts with us in the past, but I feel like we started hanging out a little bit more this year. You've been helping me try to deal with some archery issues I've been having. And then we got to do that hunt together, um, and then I got to help you recover your big Michigan buck, and then you came and helped me recover my buck here um, in December. It's just been neat to be able to take you know what was, for a long time, I felt like a, a mentorship from afar. I felt like I was trying to learn from you and kind of dig into what you're doing from, from a distance. And this year, to be able to do that kind of a little bit more, um, 
in person, uh, bouncing ideas back and forth via text a lot. I, I guess without getting too cheesy, I just want to, you know, thank you for that. It's been, it's been really helpful. So it's been cool. Yeah, no problem. It was, it was fun, uh, kind of following along, um, with you, you know, specifically on, on the big one here in Michigan and strategizing together. And I really enjoyed that. Not to mention, you know, our hunt in Nebraska. So it's, yeah. it's been my pleasure. Yeah, it's been, it's been a good time. So, so when I was out in Montana, the first week in September, I think, I think this is right. Correct me if I'm wrong if I'm on my dates here, but I'm pretty sure when I was out there in Montana chasing whitetails, you were out in Wyoming at the very same time, right? That was when they were going on? Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So you're out there on an antelope and mule deer hunt. You had two tags. Um, let's start there. I know we're mostly whitetail focused, but I feel like, you know, you've just started dabbling into Western hunting the last two years and, and really quickly you've kind of developed a knack for it, at least as far as antelope and muleys. Um, can you, can you give us the quick overview of, of what that trip was like and, and how you were able to pull it off on, on such a quick, a quick turnaround? Yeah. Um, well, it kind of started, um, last year in 2017, I went out to that area just on an antelope hunt and was successful out there went out there with a couple of buddies and obviously um you know there's an abundance of game out there so while we were out there um we for sure had our eyes on the whitetails and the muleys and and um you know it's considered like a, a general area or a general region in wyoming um at the time it didn't take any points to draw so it's it's considered more of an, an opportunity area rather than uh, like a limited entry. Um, so, you know, it's not a, an area you go expecting to kill, you know, Boone and Crockett caliber type critters, but everything we saw out there, uh, you know, we felt like, we felt like it was definitely worth coming back. Um, we had a blast and we, you know, we saw plenty of animals that, you know, we would have been happy with. We don't worry too much about size or score. So we, um, we made the plan, um, you know, applied for the antelope tag again and the mule deer tag. So we all went out there except for one, one buddy, he only did muley or uh, deer. And we went out there. And, um, so we already had a fairly, uh, three of us already had a fairly good idea of the lay of the land, where the public boundaries were. Um, we were able to, uh, call a few landowners out there and, um, you know, pay a, a trespass fee to the accesses, um, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of public land. Cause there's specifically in the area we were in, there's a giant, giant chunks of public that's landlocked and, um, it's unfortunate, but you can't get to it without permission from, uh, one of the surrounding, um, landowners. And a lot of them aren't real friendly about giving permission and, you know, want to charge money for it. So we went that route. We found some good deals. Um, so, you know, we literally had, gosh, you know, more acreage than you could ever dream of hunting pretty much all to ourselves. The the pressure was very, very low. Um, but, um, we got out there a few days before the deer season opened. So antelope opens mid mid August, we got out there, I don't know, the last couple days of August, and the plan was to, to antelope hunt for a few days and then, you know, kind of switch our focus over to deer. So, um, And if I'm right, this was, this was a rare situation for you where you actually were able to 
take a pretty decent amount of time off of work. You, because of your job, you don't get to do that too often. But didn't you have like five days off so you would be able to have a full week and weekends if you needed it? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, I had some sick time saved up, and uh, we we do get um, we do get a couple personal days a year. Um, that's that's considered our our time off because, you know, I work in a school, our vacations are, you know, spring break, Christmas break, that sort of thing. So we don't get like weeks off, but you can use those personal days, you know, whenever you want. Um, and I just you know, chose to kind of use them all for this trip because it was, you know, for me, this is maybe not once in a lifetime, but it was, this was the, the first time I had ever done anything like this. Um, you know, to this, uh, this length, I guess. And did you um, feel given, given that, um, sorry to interrupt you. I mean, no. you are a very experienced hunter. You've done it a lot when it comes to whitetails, but like you said, this was a pretty new thing. You did the antelope deal last year, but this is your first time chasing muleys only your second time ever in this area at all. Um, mm -hmm. coming into the hunt, what did you have a high confidence level or were you just kind of winging it and hoping it was going to go well? I mean, where was your head at at the beginning of this thing? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because I was going to kind of allude to this later, um, in the discussion, but I'll mention it now. Um, and I, I kind of saw it this year because I hunted with, you know, I hunted with you, I hunted with three different buddies in Wyoming and I really see, um, I guess a, a difference in, and maybe the confidence, you know, of, of different hunters and it's, it's not nothing negative. Um, you know, I'm not trying to say any one way is bad or anything, but, um, when we were in Wyoming, um, I mean, we were all excited, but after the first few days of kind of driving around and scouting, we saw very few deer, uh, like very few. And, you know, guys started to get a little worried, um, you know, rightly so it's expensive, expensive tag time away from the family. And, you know, I could see some guys maybe getting a little, uh, maybe panicky, you know, I, I'd say that maybe a little yeah. panicky, maybe not enjoying the, the hunt as much as they could have. I mean, they were, st we still all had a blast. Don't get me wrong, but I just could see that. But inside, I, I always felt like we would figure it out. We're all good hunters. We just, we got the time. We're going to figure out the deer. We're going to find them. And I, I mentioned that to a couple of friends. I was like, just don't worry about it. We're going to, we're going to find them. You know, we're, we're the type of guys that go out there and we're hunting, you know, dark to dark and, you know, we're not really stopping to take lunch or rest or naps. I mean, we're full bore the whole time. So I knew it would happen. Confidence, at least on my end of finding mule deer was, was high. I, I knew we would with time. Same, same way in Nebraska. We were a little worried. We were a little like, Oh, you know, yeah. Low deer numbers. This isn't quite what we expected, but deep down, I felt like we were going to find deer. You know, I mean, we'd know how to do that. So, um, and I, and I felt like we, even though in the, in the beginning we were kind of like joking, like kind of darkly joking, like, uh Oh, this could get rough. I, yeah. You know, there was no negative attitude. That was something no. that, you know, I, I thought was so important. We, we had to keep a positive attitude about it and stay, 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 keep that, that sense of confidence. Otherwise it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, uh, to answer your question, I guess that was a long way of answering it, but I didn't go there thinking, you know, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot a good mule deer hundred percent. But I, I had full confidence that I was going to find them, that all of us were going to find them and get into them and have some opportunities. 
Gotcha. And that's yeah. kind of what I figured. I feel like there's some people who yeah, I think I think confidence in a, in a general hunting skill set can translate from species to species. Like there's a certain level of stick-to-itiveness that I think you have and that a lot, you know, a lot of other people I talk to have um, that they're, they're going to make it happen. They'll figure it out. They're going to observe. They're going to try things, and they're going to keep adjusting and learning um, off of whatever mistakes they make. I think that's a real consistent thing I see across the best hunters I know. Um, so so you headed in there with a, with a level of confidence that you guys would be able to figure it out. The first few days, though, it's pretty slim pickings. You're not seeing the deer. Where do you go from there? Yeah, well, the first few days we focused on antelope. That was a... a you know, that, that's one, man, I, I recommend that for everyone to go out and chase antelope with a bow. Um, very difficult. Um, you know, they live in an area that's, uh, they like the, the plains. They like to be able to see, you know, long distances. So spotting and stalking, real tricky. And I had my work cut out last year. I got one on my third stalk ever. Um, so I was like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this year, you know, it, it, I felt like I wasn't so good at, it. I think I had, I don't know, gosh, 10 or 12, you know, failed stocks. Um, and it was just, it, you know, it was just not working out where the, the antelope were, it wasn't real conducive to getting close and, or, you know, the real high winds. So the long range shots weren't really, uh, you know, effective, but, um, you know, I ended up focusing, you know, on some water. It seemed like it was real dry there. So there was big concentrations near water. Um, and you know, instead of like kind of driving around and, and looking for good ones, we just started kind of focusing more on those, you know, those small areas that had water. Cause there wasn't a lot of it around and, uh, you know, we ended up having some luck. Um, I ended up getting one and actually two of my buddies, um, both missed. And then another guy came back during the rifle season, and ended up getting one. Hmm. So we went one for four. One for three, I, I guess I should say on antelope. So they, they were tricky this year. They were they were difficult. Um, but then we then we you know we changed the focus to mule deer, and that's what everybody was I guess most excited about because it was our first time. And uh, you know, like I said, very few deer um, the first few days, and I don't gosh I don't even know if we saw any bucks. Um, but we just started spreading our wings. You know, we were hunting in groups of two for the most part. You know, two guys went this way on this piece and two guys went this way on this piece and, um, opening day came and a buddy of mine, um, a buddy of mine, Justin, actually, he ended up hunting this piece of public, um, all day long, all by himself. I don't know how many miles he put on, but it was, it was some, you know, real, uh, high temps and a lot of like open, like desert type Canyon, you know, brutal, brutal conditions. And he ended up getting one um, right in the, I don't know, the last 20 minutes of shooting light. He ended up getting a nice two-by-two. Two. And he even said, because the lack of deer sightings, he shot a buck that, you know, maybe he wished he would have passed on. He was super happy with it, but because the low deer numbers or, you know, having trouble finding deer, he, you know, he took the shot and made a great shot and he didn't go far. So we started off on a good note. Um but then we just started, uh, you know, doing the, the glassing thing, basically, you know, setting up on um, different vantage points and glassing, just like you see on, 
you know, the guys, the experts, the expert mule deer on YouTube and stuff, we took that approach, um, used glass and tried to find, you know, a buck that was worth going after. Um, and me specifically, um, I think it was second day of the season, um, glassed up a good one. Uh, he, you know, I couldn't tell what he was. I could just tell he was really wide and, you know, I was basically, uh, I was like, well, you know what, let's do it. This is the first stock, first stock of my Wyoming trip. And I was so pumped and I don't know, kind of a long story to get, but I crossed a lot of ground, got in a ditch, a river bottom ditch and snaked through a lot of belly crawling. Um, the last 50 yards took my boots off and got to within, uh, 25 yards of a group. Of, I think it was six bucks and came to full draw, popped my head up over the hill. And, um, you know, there he was. And I noticed he was a three by three, probably 22 inches wide just a, a beautiful buck, but it was the second day of the season. And I decided to pass mm-hmm. and, uh, had all that on video, which was, which was pretty cool. Wow. Um, yeah. So that, that was neat. And, and I was like, right then I was just addicted to this type of hunting. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is the stuff right here. And, you know, like <laughs> I love sitting in a tree stand too. And I can, you know, I love that style of ambush hunting, but this was, this was different. And I was just, I was in heaven and I, I really something I want to do, you know, many, many more times in yeah. the future for sure. I can attest to that. Cause in Nebraska, at least once every day, you'd be like, man, I kind of really want to get out there and look for some mule deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been bit by the bug. I'm uh-huh. afraid. But, um, <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, cool hunts in between. Um, there's this, there's this public piece that, um, we noticed actually, uh, one of my buddies said he was driving down the road, you know, back to the, the cabin. And he said, man, there's a big bachelor group of mule deer in this field. So we, we got on the map and we looked and they were, they had crossed what we figured out what they had come down out of the public and crossed and they were in this, this rancher's field. So drove by the next day and we kind of marked where we saw them. So we, I just made an educated guess, like imagine like these, you know, fairly decent sized mountains, hills, canyons, and then a big flat of sage, um, you know, for a good, I don't know, quarter mile. And I was like, okay, if they, you know, they're bedded up there and they can't, they kind of sneak through this, this sage somehow. So I, I found like a little low spot. Um, where I assumed like if they, you know, if there was going to be some, some bucks coming out of those Hills, they'd kind of want to stay hidden. So it was one of those scenarios where there's no cover. So my hunt was basically on my stomach, like in, in the sage bushes. And I t- completely just, uh, you know, went with my instinct of where I thought they would come through and it ended up being one of the coolest hunts because a big parade of bucks came out of those Hills. And one just giant and they came down and they were coming and I was, I was about 50 yards out of range and I tried kind of belly crawling, commando crawling over there and, and getting closer, but, um, I just wasn't able to do it. So I ended up hunkering down, letting them pass right by me and then, um, just kind of watched where they entered the field. So now I knew where to set up. 
now I knew, like I saw him do it once. I was like, okay, now, now we can get him the next day. So the next day, um, had a buddy that he had shot and missed the antelope and was kind of down. And, um, he set up on that spot. Actually, I walked him. Um, it was weird. This public is the boundary is 50 yards off the road, but you can't, you can't cross onto it there. So you have to, you have to go down and park or park at this access and to get where these mule deer were coming out of this hill is, is about a, I don't know, a mile and a quarter. So you got to go down, park down here and then walk basically along the road because along the road was private. Um, so it was kind of a weird setup, but I walked him to the spot where those deer had come out of the hills and walked right through. And, um, I said, you know, just lay, lay right here. And, you know, they're, they're moving early. You're going to see them and you'll be able to shift a little bit if you need to. And he, uh, hunkered down and was texting me back and forth and, and they ended up coming down and they were, they were just off a little bit of where they were the night before, but he ended up getting a, a shot at the big one and he, and he ended up missing. So it's uh, it kind of a heartbreaker. He had a couple tough two days, but really a cool, exciting hunt. Um, and then let's see, my buck was uh, about 20, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes down the road on another piece and same type of deal. I got up, um, you know, set up in the dark up on the hill and, um, was glassing down. I was in a spot where I could see three canyons and it starts getting uh, daylight and I look on the opposite side hill and I see two bucks feeding. And it was really interesting because this area of where we were at in Wyoming, I would call it like desertish. It's kind of like desert mule deer, really dry prairie grass, um, you know, very, very little green unless it's irrigated. And uh, on this side hill, there was just a little bit of green, just, I mean, a, just a little bit of green grass, like new growth, just a few inches of it. And those deer were right on that spot, similar to what we saw in uh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was just like that stuff was like a premium there. They were hitting it like a like a food plot almost. Yeah. And uh, that day the wind was whipping and I, I see them over there and I'm like, you know, everyone says, OK, you know, glass them, you know, watch them bed, you know, and then you can sneak up to them on, in their bed. That's the best way to do it. And I was glassing them and it was like, it was real windy. And I was just like, man, I think I can, I think I can get over there now. I mean, it was, it was two canyons over. So it was a good way. And I'm, I'm in the wide open. So what I had to do, what I decided to do, I was going to go after them right now. I said, I think if I run, I can get over there and get a shot. So I, I kind of like belly crawled backwards, you know, keeping my eye on them. And snuck around this hill. And then right when I was out of view, I just started sprinting. And I went around my hill. And I went way upwind. That was the only risky part is I had to go upwind to these deer. The reason I risked that is two reasons. One, it was blowing 30 miles an hour. And two, I thought, if I can get enough upwind, I think I'll be safe. So I just sprinted straight away from them until I thought I was safe. Then I, I sprinted straight uh, to the to the west, and then I circled back around. And they were just on the side of this, I call it a mountain. It wasn't really a mountain, but 
you know, mountainous to us Michigan guys, um, a big hill. And as I was sprinting across, I looked and I, I knew there was three humps in this hill and I knew they were feeding right under the third hump. So I got on the backside of the hill that they were on and then I just started side hilling it. And, you know, that by now I'm, I'm kind of out of breath. So I'm slowing down. I'm trying to get my heart rate down. Cause I know there's going to be a shot coming up. And I finally, I get to the, the, the kind of the base of the hill and I'm counting the humps. So I see the first hump and I'm going the second hump. And now I'm at the base of the third hump. I'm like, okay, he's right. They're right over this edge. So I peek up, kind of like crawl up to the top and I peek my eyes over and they're both still right there. And, uh, you know, I was thinking like, you know how they say, like, you don't have to be like, you know, super, you know, in super great fitness to, to do this hunting stuff. And you don't, you definitely don't. And I'm not saying I'm super fit, but I was thinking like, there's probably a lot of guys that couldn't have done that. Um, Oh yeah. You know, I, when I did my track, it ended up being just under three quarters of a mile that I ran. And I, this was a flat terrain either, right? We're talking some Canyon stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was up and down, up and down. Yep. Yep. And it was just, uh, I don't know. The adrenaline was going and you know what I mean? It just, I just went for it, but there might've been, you know, I think, I think out there, you know, if obviously if you could be in some decent shape, it definitely helps, you know, a lot of walking, a lot of hiking, um, you know, when some guys maybe get tired or sore, you know, it, it make you want to quit, you know, but, um, it, uh, it ended up working out and I, I got to that spot, peak miles over, over the edge and they were right there feeding. So I ranged him and there was two and both of them were pretty nice, but I obviously ranged the, the bigger one. Um, and he was at 61 yards and it was it was an interesting setup because like I said, there was some really high winds, but where I was, I was just on the, the leeward side of the hill. So I wasn't feeling any wind, but they were in the wind. So I kind of forgot about the wind and what, what it was going to do to the arrow. Um, I drew back and I was, you know, pretty nervous, but I was, I was, uh, you know, trying to settle the pin, get steady um, excited, I guess I should say. And I just let that pin float, put it right in the pocket there and pulled, you know, pulled with my back tension until the shot went off, went off. Everything felt perfect. And I just saw that arrow start drifting and I ended up hitting him. I ended up hitting him about four inches back of where I was aiming and it was all wind drift. I know it was, I actually saw the arrow just kind of drift. So not a bad shot by any means, but not perfect. So I was a little, you know, a little rattled by that. Um, he took off, ran down the Canyon and, you know, for the next, the next three hours were like the most, uh, intense, um, exhilarating, panicking, um, hunt, you know, that part of a hunt that I've ever experienced. Um, I was hoping that, you know, he was going to die in that Canyon and I got down on my knees and I just started glassing the bottom. And I don't know, about 10 minutes after I shot, I see him walking out and I'm like, Oh no, you know, and then I can see the hole and I'm like, man, gosh, it doesn't look that bad, but you know, it's obviously not perfect. You know, then I was thinking liver, it looked like a liver, it didn't look like guts. It looked like a liver shot and he 
comes out and he beds down and I'm glassing him over the next couple hours. I'm just like, uh, you know, committed to not taking my eyes off this, this buck. And I'm just down glassing him intently. And he gets up four or five times, gets up beds, gets up again, run, you know, walks 30, you know, 30 yards beds down. He keeps doing that. And then all of a sudden he gets up from like his fourth or fifth bed and he starts walking kind of away from me and he's starting to circle around the mountain. And so he's now he's getting to a point where like, he's going to get out of view and I'm like, Oh crap, you know, and between me and the edge of that, that hill, there's probably three canyons and I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. So as soon as he, he goes around the corner where I can't see him, I just start huffing it. I grab my bow. I go down one canyon, up the next, down, up, down, up, just in time to, to peek over and see him go and bed down again. And it happened one more time. He ended up getting up one more time and going around the corner. And again, I had to go back down a canyon, back up around. It was just, I mean, it was just so much emotion. Um, and I just, it was excitement. It was, I felt terrible that this deer was suffering. Um, I knew he was going to die. And now at this point I'm thinking, I just want to get an arrow in him and, and, and finish this off because at first I thought he was going to, he was going to expire pretty quickly. And, you know, he didn't. Um, so now I was just fully intent on getting another arrow into him. And, um, finally he, he bedded under this big tree and where I was at, I ranged him and he was like 110 yards or something. And I was like, Oh man. So then I ranged this hill. There was this peak between him and I, and I ranged that and it said, I think it was 45 from where I was at. And I was like, okay, if I can get to that peak, you know, and he's bedded right there, I'm going to have a shot. So I snuck down belly crawl or uh, crawled on my hands and knees, kind of up the side hill, just trying to be real quiet. And I peeked my head over and he's still there. And, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where I just like had to calm down catch my breath. I see him right there, arranged him, drew back and put the finishing arrow into him. And, uh, he, he was done, you know, a few seconds after that. So it was, Oof. yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I felt like crying. I felt like cheering. It was just, it was so many different emotions in, mm-hmm. uh, in, a you know, a couple hour span. Like I was just, toast. I was spent. (laughs) Um, I know what you mean. So, you know, not exactly, um, you know, how you want it to go down, but it doesn't always go down the way you want it to, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. glad I was able to, glad as I was able to finish him off. But, um, yeah, that was pretty much, uh, pretty much the Wyoming hunt. Um, intense. Yeah. Very intense and fun. And, uh, you know, the guys I were with, that was something that stood out. Just, just good guys. And yeah. I really enjoy, uh, really enjoy those types of hunts, you know, or he maybe not hunting right with a guy, but you know, you got guys to come back to camp too yeah. and talk about things and strategize. 
Yeah, I, I wish I had a situation like that here in Michigan. I was just thinking about that today, actually. Like, I love hunting kind of close to home, but at the same time, I miss that camp camaraderie type element to it. Yeah. I feel like we almost need like a, a local camp that during the hunting season, when you're hunting, you don't go home to your wife. You, you go to the camp. <laughs> All your buddies go to camp for a while. <laughs> at, yeah, least, at least exactly. a few nights a year or something like that. So you can still have that uh, trip type of social aspect. Um, yeah. Even when you're hunting the local spots, but um, yeah, for sure that would be fun. But but looking looking back on that trip, if you could like pin it down again, you know, this is your first time ever hunting mule deer, and you're able to figure it out in a handful of days and get it done. Because you guys left, you guys left early, right? If I remember right, we um, ended up leaving a couple days early because uh, the guy I was with, um, we drove down two vehicles. Um, we had both tagged out. So yeah. So. So what do you think was it that, you know, other than being able to get a good shot, other than being able to make the stock and everything, was there anything that you think helped you figure this out so quickly and on your first mule deer hunt, kill a great buck? Was it your preparation beforehand or was it the the fact that you, well, well, I guess I shouldn't answer it. I'll just let you answer it. (laughs) Well, um, my preparation beforehand was a ton of map reading. Um, I had marked every water source within 50 miles of there. Um, so I had all that marked. I had, uh, probably 30 glassing points marked. So I didn't want to go there and be searching for this stuff. I wanted to have them marked on a map and just go and, and kind of pick off those spots one by one. Now, it didn't end up happening exactly like that. Um, what we found out was a lot of these big hills that you see in these big giant canyons, you know, I was, uh, I was thinking in my head, I'd, I'd get up on these, the highest spots possible. And I'd, I'd glass into these giant canyons and I'd see deer all over and I'd pick one and go after. Well, what I found rather quickly was these, these deer were hiding in actually really small pockets, small, smaller canyons, canyons that you can't see from the, the highest peak you have to it's it's very chopped up land and and some of these uh in fact the 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 little canyon or the the cut that these two bucks were going to bed in i mean was really small i mean you wouldn't see them unless you were right on the hill i was at you know what i mean so they were still um you know they were still hiding even though they were out in the open if that makes sense um you know, they were clearly visible from where I was at, but from a road, no way. Um, so I don't know. I, I think, I think we were just able to, um, find the pattern quick. Um, I definitely was prepared with the maps. Um, I knew the areas I knew kind of where I wanted to start. Um, my shooting was prepared. Um, would it be fair to say that you, from from afar, I feel like something that you did here and something I, I sense that you do in a lot of your white hunts too, is that you're not afraid to seek them out. Like you don't get stuck just, okay, this is the spot I'm going to go and I'm going to just stick it out and hunt there and hunt there and hunt there and you keep doing the same thing and it doesn't work. I feel like I always hear about you having a plan to start and then if that doesn't work, then you're checking out the next area, then you're checking out the next area, then you're checking out the next area until you find them. And then you keep adjusting and adjusting. Um, that kind of sounds like that's what you did in this case. Uh, yeah, right? that's, that's, you described it perfectly. And I, I guess I was trying to find the words there, but, uh, 
yeah, it's more of like a systematic approach. Um, aggressive, but, um, you know, this time of year, I really just wanted to lay eyes on one and then, um, you know, kind of work on, you know, the stalking and, and get some practice in with that. And, you know, I was able to make it happen on my first two stalks I got within, within bow range, but yeah, it's just, it's just, I guess, relentless, um, looking, you know, like you said, going from one potential spot to the next, to the next, to the next, and not wasting any time. Like we knew we were on a a short hunt. So we really just kind of, you know, went all in on this hunt and, um, you know, they're deer. Um, you know, like I said before, I feel like with enough time we can narrow down, we can find them. And then it was just a matter of time of finding one that we were interested in going after. Yeah. And, and like I said, then I feel like, you take a similar approach to hunting whitetails too, especially in Michigan. It seems like because I feel like every year you've got a whole bunch of different places, and then you are systematically working your way through those places till you find the deer you want to hunt. Um, correct me if correct me if I'm wrong on that, but but I think that's true. And if so, can you can you tell me how you did that this year? Because it certainly sounds like you did it pretty well. <laughs> but before we get to that. I want to take a quick second here to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties and hear from one of their land specialists about some scouting advice that, uh, believe it or not, we're all going to be able to start applying here pretty soon because the season is almost done and postseason scouting is just ahead of us. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Justin Mason, a land specialist out of Illinois. And Justin is going to be telling us about what are some of his favorite scouting strategies for this time of year. And my go-to spot at the end of winter has to be kind of those thick bedding sanctuary areas. Um, You know, primarily I'm doing two things late winter, uh, starting to look, you know, for sheds, but then also trying to figure out, you know, if I can nail down specifically more of the deer pattern, travel pattern. So I'll usually go into the kind of the south facing slopes up towards the top of the ridge, find some of that thicker habitat with maybe some locust trees because oftentimes they'll go to those locust pods and feed on them uh, or honeysuckle anything kind of the thicker the better so that I can really dive into and see how they're traveling through it and uh, you know hopefully I can score and pick up a shed. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Justin currently has listed for sale visit whitetailproperties.com backslash mason that's m-a-s-o-n I also want to take a second here to thank our partners at Onyx, and I'm actually here sitting, looking at my Onyx Hunt app uh, with my son, who's 11 months old. He's currently on my lap, and uh, maybe you can hear him. He's touching the phone and touching the microphone. He's a big fan of the Onyx Hunt app, and uh, apparently at this very moment, big fan of the mic stand, but what we both like about this app is that it helps me find quality places to hunt. (laughs) I actually was able to shoot a buck this year for the first time while having a son. Got to share that moment with him. He got to touch that buck, look at the antlers, and I use the Onyx Hunt app quite often during the hunt for that deer as I was constantly thinking about where to hunt, where the wind was going, where this deer might be, and uh, always having the maps available on my phone were a huge benefit. So I would definitely recommend checking out Onyx if you're interested in a mobile hunting map application. You can find it over on your mobile app store of choice 
or check out onyxmaps.com. <laughs> yeah, um, with Michigan, um, I do use that approach. Um, you know, I know these. I know. I know all the areas I hunt really, really well. And just like you, um, you know, the areas that you've hunted for years and years, you're a very, uh, you know, an astute hunter. You, you look at the why on everything and, you know, why is this happening? When is this happening? And, you, you know, I start to see trends. I start to see trends in certain areas. I start to see trends in certain deer. So uh, basically what I do is, is I kind of try to time my hunts um, and, and time my efforts to when those areas or those particular deer are most vulnerable. Um, so for instance, like, um, you know, there might be, I got some spots that are, that tend to be good early season, but during the rut, there's like no deer there. So I, I focus my time there in, in the early season and, and vice versa. I have some spots that are, are just tend to heat up during the rut or late October. Um, there's sometimes there's a certain buck that, you know, has shown vulnerability in the last couple of years in late October or, you know, that first week of November, or sometimes it's early season. So I try to, I start to develop a plan like that, you know, in, in all the areas I hunt. Um, and with that, obviously trying to find, you know, a handful of deer that I'm interested in going after. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, but that's, I think that's kind of why or how I'm able to have consistent success and, and be efficient. Like, as you say, um, you know, I have, I know where I want to be late October and it's not just one spot. There might be two or three spots. Um, how many, might be more than that. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I was going to ask how many different quote unquote spots did you have like lined up that you could hunt this year? In, let's just say in Michigan, um, I'm trying to just kind of wrap my head around how many different options you're kind of bouncing around with as possibilities. Yeah. Um, there's probably a, maybe a dozen, uh, between like, you know, shared permission, private land and some, and some public pieces that I try to, uh, kind of keep tabs on. I like to know what's going on there that I scout regularly that I feel, uh, real confident in what the deer herd is like. If there's a good one in there, if there's potential for good ones in there. Um, so, you know, I'm always losing ground. I'm always trying to scout new pieces. So it's, it's a constant evolution, but, um, you know, I'll throw Northern Ohio in there too, because I live right near the border there's a couple areas that i hunt down there too same type of thing i really start to learn patterns so when a good one shows up um you know when a good one shows up on any of these pieces i'm i'm usually i know the spots where i can kill them and i know the time of year that they tend to be when those spots tend to heat up i guess yeah. um like uh, like like you said uh I don't remember who said it, but like knowing your DNA of the farm, mm, yeah. was that Drury? Yeah. Terry Did, Drury always talks about that. Knowing, okay. the, knowing the DNA of your farm. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. So it's just kind of knowing when that area, the area you're hunting it has the highest potential. And you know, that's when I focus my efforts and I don't push it. Now I might try to 
you know, do a little scouting here, you know, on the outskirts and maybe checking some cameras and doing some glassing. And that's what kind of what led to my, uh, my November buck in Michigan this year. But, um, I really try to just focus my time when it's most effective in those spots, in those areas. And I mean, that's really what it comes down to. But then if there's an individual buck that I'm after, there tends to be, you know, there can be some trends there too. Um, you know, so it really depends on the situation. Um, but that's, I think once I started really looking at that stuff and focusing on that stuff and trying to kind of, I guess, time my hunts when things were most productive, my success started going up more. Yeah. Um, and for anyone listening, I'm sorry to, to uh, jump in here, but anyone who's listening, if you didn't listen to the podcast that me and Andy did off of our Nebraska hunt about two months ago or whatever that was, you you really should go back and listen to that. I won't belab- belabor you guys with this again, but Andy walked through this whole process, the whole process that you use as far as journaling all of your hunts, documenting all this information. I got to believe that that's a huge part of the reason why you're able to so effectively figure out the DNA of each of these different spots is because you are meticulous about taking note of everything, observing everything and, and documenting it. So you can go back and look and say, Oh, well, wow. Over the last 10 years, the last five years, this was a trend on this property. And this is a different trend on this other property. And I mean, all that stuff over half a decade or a decade can kind of disappear into the nethers of your brain. If you're not finding a way to actually document it. Um, and you do a damn good job of doing it. It seems like. Yeah, that, that definitely helps. And I really like looking back at that. And I also have, you know, I think I've told you before, I, for whatever reason, I forget what my wife tells me, you know, an hour before, but I have really good recall with (laughs) deer stuff. Um, so, (laughs) you know, I, I do have really good recall. I can remember, um, you know, I can remember what this buck did last year, you know, during this time and uh, without having to go back to my notes so much. So, um, that helps, you know, um, and another thing too, that kind of was more, at least with my November buck this year and, and the Ohio buck for that matter, a lot of the, a lot of my success happens with finding, um, uh, acting on like recent information, like right now, like the current information that I can get, whether it's a, a track, whether it's a sighting, um, whether it's a trail cam picture, uh, an observation, um, but having, being able to capitalize on that and move in right then and there, similar to how you did with Frank, you know, I mean, he, he hung around a little bit, but you were able to move in quickly when he was there and when he was with that hot dough. And I mean, you came really close several times to getting him. Um, but being able to do that, um, and being able to capitalize that by, by, by being able to jump in there right when that sign tells you to, um, is huge. And I, I'm in a, a, a decent situation around home here because I'm able to scout a lot, even though I can't hunt all the time. Um, you know, I'll check cameras at lunch or I'll go walk a field edge at lunch and look for tracks. Um, I'm scouting constantly. I like to know what the deer are doing. I like to know, um, you know, if a big buck has showed up. So I'm, I'm trying as much as I can to, uh, 
to kind of figure that out as the season goes along so I can capitalize on a moment's notice. You know, glassing before work. I almost never go to work. I'll get up early and I'll go glass. Um, or the days I can't hunt, you know, if, if nothing's going on, I'll, I'll try to, you know, try to do something that will help me be successful. But that has been a, a, also a big, a huge help. And, oh, man, yeah. You know, just being able to, to, to recognize when you need to get in there. And obviously you miss some things. But if you look hard enough and you're persistent and committed, I think you – one can, uh, you know, capitalize on a lot of those situations. Yeah. So something that when it comes to this whole, this is something I'm trying to get better at. And, and I think, for example, this year it worked out for me with Frank, um, is, is finding ways to learn about an area without impacting that area. So, you know, with Frank, I just, you know, I was fortunate. I, had, I could easily watch a large, a decent chunk of this property without needing to go in there and hunt it. So I kind of did a long distance observation thing. Um, but I'm always trying to figure out with different spots, you know, how can you watch it or learn it or check cameras or do scouting without, you know, pressuring those deer. And you were mm-hmm. telling me, you were telling me, I, I don't think we talked about this on the last podcast, but you shared with me an example of a, of a late season buck that you had found last year and you almost got a shot at him i think during rifle season or muzzleloader season i can't remember which and then you're hoping he would come back this year and you do the same thing but you were just gonna constantly monitor cameras in a in a in a spot where you could get to um without spooking them though how do you and this is something i talked to a lot of people about this is kind of one of those like secret sauce things like it's it's the silver bullet how do you keep tabs on recent intel without educating the deer how do yeah. you how does that work in your mind yeah i think it depends on the area you know obviously an area that's you know more chopped up and open like maybe if there's there, there's like there's one spot that's pretty close to my work and um you know i'm able to check cameras there pretty often you know as often as i like really so what what i do is i'll check cameras or I'll go walk the uh, perimeter of the crop field, and I'll look for tracks. I'll check those cameras. But where I'm walking and where I'm scouting is not where I hunt. It's not where I set up to, to kill. But I do like to get that information. So, you know, I might check and um, I might check the cameras, and there's nothing, you know. And then a few days later, nothing. Yeah. But th- these are in areas. Keep in mind again where. I, I don't care if I really bump a deer here because it's nowhere near where I'm hunting. Um, it's more or less, I want to know if they're in the area cause this is where they come. And it's usually after dark, but if one shows up, then I feel like, you know, if one starts using the area, then I feel like I know where I can, I can get them. Gotcha. So that's one example. Um, you know, another example, you know, there's this other, um, area I hunt that's, you know, has a big swamp. You can't really, uh, you know, tracks and that sort of thing is, is a little bit harder. So I might go in and check a camera, but I'm checking it, you know, I'm trying to do it on a real, I, I try to check cameras on, on two situations, rain or really windy, dry conditions. Like, so, you know, if you get a week with no rain and then it's real windy, those are really tough conditions too, for a, a deer to scent you on the ground. Um, and, you know, just the, the cover. So I use any means necessary. Um, glassing, too. You know, I, I use a lot of glassing. So it really depends on on that, the situation you're in and, and the, the type of 
property you're hunting or the type of, you know, what the cover's like on that piece of public or whatever. So it really just depends. Um, you know, it's kind of a tough, there's not, not a, a one yeah. size fits all for that question, I guess. Yeah, no, no, there's definitely not. Um, so, so then I guess walk me through, cause you, you alluded to a couple of these upcoming hunts where you were doing some of these things, but let's start in mid October. We had this mm-hmm. cold front hit. Um, I was all excited about the cold front hitting. It was like October 12th or something or 13th or I don't know, somewhere in that ballpark. And, uh, one of these nights it was kind of rainy and cold and I get the text message from you saying you shot a big one. Uh, how did that all come to be? Yeah, that was an interesting one. Cause this is a, a buck that, you know, had some history with, um, in fact, uh, two years ago, what's really interesting about this buck is two years ago, I've only seen him one time and that was two years ago and it was on November 4th. But where I saw him, he was standing in the exact same spot where I shot him this year. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And not not the same time of year. Um, you know, this was mid-October when I got him, and I saw him during the rut two years ago. Um, but two years ago, he also – that's not true. I did see him. I saw him late season also. So he showed up late season again, and I had already um, shot a couple bucks in Michigan, and – he was a good deer then he had, you know, the mule deer split. And, um, so I decided to let him go and just pray, you know, that he wasn't going to get shot. Um, this area does get quite a bit of pressure around, but I think, I think as far as, you know, your average Michigan property, there's more guys passing some deer, you know, in this general area. So there tends to be a few that slip through the cracks and get to that, you know, three, four, sometimes even five, you know, um, it's not, not many, but usually there's, you know, maybe one like that. Um, so anyway, we, two years in a row or two years ago and last year, he showed up late season. And so we just kind of, my buddy and I just figured that would be the chance, you know, that we'd, we'd have at this buck. And on October 12th, on the day you're, you're talking about, there was a cold front and, and some like kind of light rain real good conditions for deer movement. But, um, you know, if I'm being completely honest, I was in there after a different deer, um, and was set up, uh, the way my, my, my partner, my buddy was, uh, set up in one spot and I was set up in another and we, you know, when we do hunt together, we don't get out as much together as, as we used to, but when we do hunt together, it's usually in a strategic way where, you know, if the deer does show, there's a really good chance one of us will get a crack at them. We kind of, kind of hunt off each other and try to cover all the bases. So, um, we were actually after a different deer that was, had been visible and showing some vulnerability and, you know, uh, out of the blue, I, I look up, you know, in, in the rain and this, this buck is standing there and I immediately know who he is. Can you describe this, this spot? Why, why, why you wanted to be there? why he was there yeah um it's a a, like a set aside field um really tall uh weeds grasses um so it's it's a field where it serves as bedding um you know there we routinely see you know decent bucks bed in this stuff and in specific spots in that field i might add um year in and year out and 
um, they just feel, they feel really comfortable moving through that. If, if I could hunt any type of habitat, it would be like set aside, like CRP, like the tall grass stuff. Yeah. I just love that. Me too. And, uh, the deer just really seem to feel comfortable in there. Um, so, you know, it, it's not uncommon for, uh, you know, especially in October, you know, mid October, late October to have a good, good buck bedding in one of the beds in this field. Um, I was not expecting that buck, um, but I was expecting this other buck, which was a 10 point. Um, and I can't say for sure, uh, that buck that I ended up killing came out of the bed, um, that I, that I think he did. Um, but he certainly came from that direction. And, and that's a a spot where we've routinely seen, um, you know, big bucks bed and, and my buddy, Mike has killed one out of there and I've passed a few out of there and it's, uh, to describe it, um, maybe this will help some listeners. Um, you know, if you got a a field, a CRP field, um, imagine it's kind of like rolling Hills and it all tapers down into one really low spot. And, you know, you normally hear about bucks wanting to bed high where they can see, Yeah. well, year in and year out that low spot specifically by there's like a a bunch of young saplings in there, but it's the lowest spot in the field. And there's a buck bedded there often, especially on a West wind, which it was that day. So it's what, what I think they do and what I've seen them do, you know, as you know, darkness approaches, you know, half an hour before light, they, they rise out of this bed and they just kind of stand there and they just, drinking all those thermals coming down to them yeah. and literally for nearly you know 180 degrees on a west wind like everything's just kind of coming right down to that spot it's one of those thermal sinks right exactly exactly that comes right down to there so we we it's not a spot i anticipated but um i don't know it's four or five maybe six years ago now we uh i videoed a real big buck in there and um, my buddy Mike ended up shooting that deer a day or two later. Um, but yeah, it's just a spot that they routinely use. And, and I think that's why it just gives them all the advantage of, of being able to smell the surrounding area, everything in that field. And this is a pretty decently high deer density area. So when does come into that CRP and, and move towards the food sources and stuff, like they can smell all that. They can just sit right in that low spot and, and get all those thermals. So then how did you get away with hunting where you did? So you, the, the trick is you, you need a west wind. Okay, so where I'm at in relation to the, where the bed is, I'm almost uh, perfectly south. Okay, so if there's a west wind, it's blowing me right, right uh, not even past the bed. It's blowing me behind the bed. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, yep. Yeah. So like on a, you know, if you were, if it was a dead calm night, that would be more of a risky situation. But anytime there's a West, a West Northwest, even a Northwest that stands money. And it it just, because it's in line, it's almost in line with that bed. It just, it, it blows right behind them. If that makes sense. So, so you get set up in that. I, I imagine 
tell me if I'm wrong, but did you choose to hunt this property that night because the front came through and you're thinking, man, these are great conditions. I know this is a spot where there's this good buck. Tonight's the night to be in there. Or what was the rationale behind making that strike on that day? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because this, this piece, um, you know, I hunt it with a friend, um, one of my best buddies and I don't hunt that place like I normally hunt. Um, I hunt that place very conservatively as does he, because we're trying to, I guess, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to ruin his season by being overly aggressive and, and he's trying that's, that's pretty much where he hunts all the time. Um, so we hunt, a little more passively, to be honest, we hunt in spots where if the deer are moving well, you know, you can have some success. If they're not moving well, then, you know, you, you're probably out of the game, if that makes sense. So, yep. um, you know, we, we, we hunt it for, a, we set up spots for longevity, even though I only hunt it, you know, a couple times a year, it's set up to hunt for, to kind of, promote longevity of the season, I guess you should say, yeah. I guess you could say, but there are certain time frames that we know, you know, this, these certain spots on this property can heat up and, um, a mid October, we've routinely have had good hunts in mid October during cold fronts. So yeah, you're exactly right. That's why we were out there that day. There was a, you know, a good drop in temperature and, you know, a light, light rain and uh you know just everything kind of set up for good deer movement so you're there he shows up exact same place you saw him two years earlier yeah which was kind of strange um literally standing in the same spot you go in a different direction but standing in the same spot um yep and he kind of comes in and i think he i almost say he kind of crested that hill and he locked onto me and I was like, oh my, like, how, how did he even know? Like, how does he know? Like I'm blended in so perfectly. And he just like <laughs> stared a hole into me. And I was just like, this is, I was in such awe because I thought he had busted me and I wasn't moving or doing anything, but he did catch me off guard. I just wasn't expecting, you know, a buck like that to just appear out of nowhere. And um, you, weren't, you weren't like hung out in a tiny tree either, right? This is a, like a big oak or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what kind of tree it is, but it's it's a big bushy tree. So yeah. tons of limbs and, and branches and stuff. I mean, you're you're tucked in there, tucked in there good. And I don't know if he was staring at that because he maybe he had winded a hunter in there before. I, I don't know. But uh he definitely locked on and I just held still and I don't know, maybe 20 seconds went by. We were just kind of both standing there motionless. And then I saw him flicker his tail. And then I knew, I knew it was, I was going to get a shot. So he started walking. Isn't that the best feeling too? You know, when oh, you're, when you're, yeah. lo- when they're locked on, you think you're busted. And then they do that tail flick that That's just says, best. that just says, okay, I'm, yep. I'm all right. <laughs> yep. Yep. And if you can just, you know, I've been in that situation so many times where you can just hold still and be patient and wait them out. Sometimes it's, it's minutes, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's 10, 15 minutes. That's right. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a, a relief to say the least, but, uh, then he started walking and I was like, okay, you know, he's in range whenever he stops, 
we're good to go. So, uh, he ended up stopping naturally, which is, you know, what I always want. And I drew back and shot and, and hit him and he took off and it was kind of one of those weird deals where, um, you know, I, I didn't, wasn't sure where I hit him and, you know, I was, that's kind of why I called you initially. Cause I was like, you know, a deer, you know, uh, I was, I was kind of freaked out. Just a deer, the size of the deer we have a little bit of history with, and I wasn't sure on the hit. And I was like, I just felt better maybe getting a dog out there. You know, I'm not a super confident to be honest with you in my tracking skills. I'm, I'm red, green, colorblind. I don't know if you know well, that. Well, you and me both, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have a really hard time. Uh, I'm getting better at it because I'm 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 starting to get better at other things, seeing other things. Um, but um, yeah, I usually like to have some couple friends come out just as backup, and uh-huh. you know, and then and then we have a mutual friend that has a an awesome tracking dog, so yep. I just felt felt more comfortable given the situation and because it was about to rain. Yeah, um, it just started you know. raining right after the shot, right? Yeah, immediately after the shot, it started coming down. It started coming down pretty good, too. So, yeah. So then we, uh, you know, we had our buddy Andy come out with the dog. and uh, She's a rock star. She is, yeah. We had, we had definitely had trouble, um, you know, finding first blood. Um, I don't know that I would have found it. I feel, I feel I for sure would have found the deer eventually. But the way the dog picked it up instantly, it was was it just felt so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, she was she was on it like in just a matter of minutes and then she was kind of heading down the hill and we're heading in the direction where the deer uh was going we started down this crest and we look up and we can see my uh nocturnal my lighted knock glowing in the darkness and i was like oh like i felt a sense of relief because I knew, I knew I didn't get a pass through. I saw the, the, the arrow actually stay in the deer, but then I thought, well, what if you, you know, what if you wiggled it out and it's just my arrow, you know? So there was like relief and then panic and we ended up going up there and, and there he lay. So it was a, a really cool moment with, uh, you know, again, what I live for just being around friends. Um, I just love that. Uh, not, not just for my recoveries, but for their recoveries too. I just, I really enjoy that part of the hunt. Yeah, that is, that's a special thing to be a part of. I was, I was really glad to be there and that was a really, really awesome buck. I don't, I don't think you've did, you've, you've done it justice in describing him yet. He's a super huge bodied, big necked. I mean, this is October 12th or whatever. And he had full blown like rut neck going on. Um, yeah. And a typical eight pointer, right? But just the most mass you could ever ask for on an eight pointer. He's tight and tall, just tons of mass, and then these deep splits on both G twos, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got the uh, deep mule deer splits on both G twos, and I mean, it's the, I'm I know there's heavier deer out there, but uh, you know, around the bases and that first part of the main beam, that's the that's the one of the heaviest deer I've ever seen. The mass is just insane, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, he's a really cool, like one of a kind deer for sure. He's like one of those ones that you just, you know, you'll never shoot one like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was blown away by that deer. Just an awesome buck. Yeah. Um, so you kicked off your Michigan season well there. Now from that point on, we can skip Nebraska. We cover Nebraska already pretty good. 
Yeah. But walk me through the rest of your Michigan season because you had two more, two more good opportunities, right? Yeah. Um, gosh, it was you know late October, November. I just had some phenomenal hunts. I don't know if you remember, but I, I was texting you multiple times where. You know, I was, you it seemed know, like every some, time you hunted, you were having some <laughs> kind of awesome encounter. I was like, good I Lord, was. man. <laughs> I, it was one of those years where, uh, what, for whatever reason, call it luck, call it, you know, just being dialed in. I don't know, but it, I was routinely getting on good bucks. It wasn't every hunt, but, um, I was routinely having encounters and having close calls and, you know, and they weren't, it's not like these are all in one spot. These were all in different areas, but I was. And what, and I apologize for always jumping yeah. in on you. Um, it's okay. But can you tell me, I mean, right. You weren't, there was no rut, there was no rut vacation. There was no big trip, right? This was, you were hunting yeah. weekends and then some evenings after work. Was yeah. That, is that right? Or what, what else were you doing if that's not the case? Yeah, that's the case. And, and it's funny because. I really haven't hunted much during the rut in Michigan, uh, the last few years. I usually, that's usually when I try to hunt out of state more. Um, but this year because of Wyoming, um, I was real limited on what I could, you know, make work, um, you know, during the rest of the season. So I was actually kind of excited to, to hunt the rut in Michigan. Cause I knew there were some good ones around and, um, you know, I know, I know these areas and, uh, I just, never give them the time they deserve during November, just because I'm, I have aspirations of hunting new lands and seeing new places and all that kind of stuff. But it was kind of cool to hang around home. And yeah, I, uh, I was really aggressive with my in-season scouting that goes back to, you know, to kind of really being tuned into what's going on, um, in each area, you know, when things are hot and, you know, can I you, was, can you describe a couple specific examples of what you're doing at that time of year that was aggressive in that way? Yeah, just, um, I guess, uh, you know, I was really trying to focus in on certain areas when, you know, where in the past they've been good during that time frame, And it just seemed like I was always on the mark with it this year or doing a lot of in-season scouting. There's a lot of times I, I had that, uh, that uh, Mantis saddle and predator platform. I used that this year and I was just kind of gung ho about, you know, hanging and hunting and being mobile. And I, so I did, I used that a lot and um, was just really kind of the few, few hunts just kind of going in and, and hunting and setting up on hot sign or setting up on the ground, still hunting. I mean, I was trying it all. I tried the, uh, uh, I had a hunt with a, a bow mounted decoy um, and had a, an awesome encounter with that. Um, I was really just being real aggressive because I, I already had a buck down and I was like, kind of, I guess, shooting for the stars and, and just trying to make every hunt, uh, trying to make every hunt count. I wanted, I wanted it to be a, a, a real, um, I guess dialed in kill set that I felt really confident going in, um, that I would have success. Or I was going to try to make it happen. So that, that was kind of my strategy. So it's kind of like, uh, would, would it be fair to say that in a lot of those cases, you were kind of swinging for the fences with each hunt and it was either going to be a home run or a complete strikeout probably. Um, yeah. 
And, and yeah. would I be right in saying that the reason you can do that was because you had so many other options lined up? So if you swung for the home run on this spot and it didn't work out, it's okay that you blew out this little thicket or whatever because you knew you've got seven other spots you can go and try it too, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you got to remember too, I, you know, I, I set up my season ahead of time to, I guess, I would never go into a season with having scouted two areas. You know, I would never go into a season of scouted five areas. You know, I'm going to go into each and every season having plan A and a backup and a backup for that and a backup for that and a backup for that. And, you know, I, I enjoy scouting as much as hunting. So I, I feel like I'm more than prepared. I'm over-prepared, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would, it would, I've said this before, I would have to be extremely unlucky to not at least have some success because I mean, I, I do scout, I scout year round whenever I have free time. That's what I'm doing. I don't do much else. Yeah. Um, so that, that helps a lot. I mean, that's huge for me and I'm not saying that's what everybody needs to do or should do. It's just what I do. Yeah. So, so walk us through then in Michigan, you're, you're getting aggressive. You're shooting for the stars on each hunt. Every hunt's a kill hunt. Um, maybe describe the, the, the shot you did get or, or a few encounters or or whatever you want to share on that front. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'll talk about the, the November 12th buck. And then I did have, a um, uh, two good hunts in Northern Ohio during that timeframe too, which actually led to my kill in Ohio in late November. But so this, the, the buck I got on, uh, November 12th, Again, this, this was a buck I knew about is a buck that I had seen in the summer and had, had observed. Um, I was able to actually visually find this deer's track after I observed him, I was able to walk the, the field edge where I had seen him and in the summer, I like to do that. Yeah. This summer. So yep. you saw him in the summer and then you actually said, okay, I saw that buck. I want to hunt that buck. So I want to go find his track. You actually did that. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. You're a machine. (laughs) Any, anytime there's a chance to, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk it all to go, to go look at a track, but if I can, uh, if I can get that piece that can help me a lot. Um, and I haven't always been able to do that on all my bucks, but this one in particular, I was able to, um, so anyway, he had uh, a fairly unique track. I think I, I posted a, a picture of this online, but um, he had one toe that kind of curled over and was a little bit longer than the other one. So just, you know, it, I didn't know at the time that this that would help me um, in, in killing this buck, but it, it ends up helping me. Um, just one of those things. He was not I, – I knew if I had an opportunity at this deer, I would shoot him because he's incredibly unique also. But he was not the buck I was, you know, the buck I really wanted. The buck I really wanted was a, a different nine-pointer that I, I told you about on the way to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. That was that was the one. But um, I kind of knew, you know, if I if I saw this buck, I wouldn't be able to, you know, wouldn't be able to hold off because he is a really kind of freakish, uh, you know, goofball. Um, but anyway. 
You got, you, got, you got to describe what the heck that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why well, is he a freakish goofball? Yeah. Okay. So he's got this perfect side, right? He's got this perfect side of five, like a beautiful half of a 10 point. And then his, his other side of the antler, it, it has a brow tie. And then the main beam starts squiggling up and down, up and down, up and down, almost like a, I don't even know how you'd explain it. Like a worm, like, you know, like a, a worm all curved up, up and down, up and down, like a wave almost, but they're all points. So he's got, he's got eight on that side. And then he's got at the end of all those little waves, he's got, he had two big giant hooks. One was like seven inches. And then, and then the one that is still on there, he ended up breaking one off, but the other one's like nine. So just like, I mean, just a freak, you know, just a really strange, odd rack. Um, but anyway, I had seen him a couple times from like observation stands in October, way off, way off where I couldn't hunt. He's on a piece of private that I can't access. And I, I was like, man, he is really cool. Like you see him and you just know it's him. And um, so anyway, th- this is at a spot near my work where I routinely, and I, I don't do this everywhere, so I don't want you know, the listeners to think this is the way I do things, but this is a spot where I check a camera often every two days, every three days, um, because it's in a spot where I don't hunt. It's, it's in a, it's in a, an ag, you know, near an ag field. Um, I'll walk the edge of the ag field and I'll check the camera. I go the same way in, same way out every time. And I just check it often, and all I want to know is when a deer is coming through. Uh, if a deer is going to come through, it's kind of hard to explain, come through the cover where I do hunt, this is where they end up. And you're getting these pictures there probably at nighttime, right? And you're and then you're well, assuming. Yeah. Well, I'm mainly looking for the big nine, and there's nothing. There's no pictures. There's no tracks. I mean, this is a spot where if there's a big track, it's – it's going to be the big nine or the only other deer that this had any size was this one. So I was only, I was hundred percent focused on the big nine with the back of my mind, knowing that this freak is out there somewhere, but between mid October and, you know, early November, mid November, I, I didn't see that goofball one. Um, I had no pictures, no tracks, nothing. I, I assumed he got shot because most deer in this area just get shot. Um, but it's still one of those spots where I have it set up where I check the camera often. I don't care if I, they smell me here because I'm hunting them two to 300 yards away. In fact, it it doesn't bother me at all. They come at night. This is a, a, a spot where they end up at night. So it's November. What day did I go out there? I shot them on the 12th. So it must've been the 10th. I can't remember if it was the 10th or the 11th. But I go out there, check the camera. Midday? Yep, midday. I usually do it right at my lunch. Um, there's a couple spots where I, you know, a couple spots where I'm kind of, I'll do some scouting, you know, maybe check a camera, maybe kind of go, uh, you know, just so I get an hour for lunch. So there's, I'm lucky in the fact that I've got some spots near my work where I can get out and just check some low impact spots like this. And 
I checked the camera and I didn't have anything on the camera, but on my way back out, like I said, I walked the perimeter of this field. I see a track and it's a big one. And I'm like, Oh, hadn't seen one there all year. And I look and it's that track, the one with the curved foot, the longer toe than the other. Wow. And I was like, man, that's that, that's that freak deer. So I had no idea if it was, you know, I didn't know what time, you know, of day that happened. I assumed at night, this is a spot where, you know, where these deer bed, I can't get close to. Okay. I can't hunt it. Um, so I'm hunting off of that in some thick cover, but they do come over into this field, but it's usually at night. But the, the reason I, I decided to sit, even though I don't, I, I knew he was coming into this area, even though I didn't know when exactly, you know, everything about this told me, you know, if I'm going to have a chance at him, I'm going to sit back here at this spot. And I have this spot picked out because it's, it funnels down between some terrain features and some water. So when deer kind of work off this big piece of private and they come through this area and then over to this field, there's a, there's a small doe herd over there too. So every year around this time, it starts to attract bucks and it, you, this is not an area that usually gets a lot of buck activity, but I've killed one there, uh, November 4th, the 12th and the 14th. Um, so that, that, that funnel that I'm talking about is way off this field. It's way back in some really thick security cover. And I come in a completely different way that takes hip waders. So, as soon as I saw that track, I was like, okay, now I got to start sitting that spot. And I had not sit that spot yet. And in fact, the, the, the funny thing is I've killed three bucks out of that stand and they were all the first time I sat in it. Hmm. Wow. So <clears throat> in the past I had done it more with timing. You know, I sat there November 14th because I knew, you know, that time of year is, is when the bucks tend to start coming through that area because they start to, I don't know what it is. If that hurt, that little doe group there, you know, comes in, you know, if they have a couple does that come in right at that time or what, but that just always seems to be that kind of November 4th through the 15th is that little window there where that particular spot heats up. You can hunt it October, you know, Halloween, nothing. And it's just, it's been like that. I don't know why it's just goes back to, you know, just knowing, knowing your areas, I guess. But anyway, um, so like I said, you gotta, I, I get into this spot, uh, using hip waders. You got to walk through basically this high water and you come in way behind all of that cover. So you're coming in kind of the backside and there's another, another a couple of people that hunt have hunted up in that field that I was talking about. So that, that field gets some pressure. So it keeps the deer back in this cover where I was hunting. Um, and I snuck in there and I got up in that spot or got up in that tree. This was after work and, you know, was just sitting there. And I, I, I don't know. It was one of those things I was kind of probably daydreaming. I should have seen this buck coming from a long ways away, but I didn't. And, uh, I kind of look up and he's like at 35 yards closing in fast. And this was about 30 minutes of daylight left. And I see him and I see that big old hook coming off the one side. And I was like, Oh man, there he is. So that, that track led me to, 
to sitting that spot for, at that time frame. Um, I probably was going to start, you know, I'd always put in a sit or two before the gun season there because it routinely heats up during that time. And, and this year was no different, but I just, I just caught his track and that was the deer that I was moving in on. And it's just one of those situations where the terrain and that water, they don't have to go through that funnel, but they almost always do. It's just a really, it's just a really high percentage spot. If you can just stay out, if you can stay out and wait till the time is right, it's, it's just money. Was your but if you, if I, I was going to say, ahead. is your access an important part of making that spot work too? Cause I feel like spots that are way back in the cover are so tricky to hunt when you're trying to go in for a afternoon sit like that. Yeah. How'd you pull yeah. it off without blowing everything out? Yeah. Well, you, what I do is I go through this, this water, this high water, you know, most people, I guess that would probably hunt that would go through the bean field and go through the cover and, you know, Oh, there's a funnel. They're going through a lot of the thick stuff and would, would totally bump at least the doe groups out. There's not a lot of, there's never any bucks that bed there, but, um, they would definitely blow out that cover. So where I come in is, is there's some high water. Um, so you just put on, you know, put on some hip waders and you just kind of slowly go through the water and I come up low and then up kind of up over the terrain feature I was talking about. It was basically just a, a little knob or a hill. And then I'm, I have a tree prepped right there. So, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, occasionally bump a deer going in, but very rarely because it's, it's, it's high water. Usually the, the deer aren't in that water. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a unique spot. Um, and like I said, if you hunt it, you know, if you go in there and you hunt October 1st and October 10th and the 15th and the 20th and, you know, you do that, you, you ruin the spot. You you educate the deer that are living in there, which is a small doe herd. Um, so it's just, it's just one of those spots that can really be good if you can be patient. Yeah. And I feel like in past, it was either past podcast conversation or maybe an article you'd written for Wired Hunt in past years. You alluded to it with this case that the, the three kills you had in this property were all the first time. And don't you have record of some crazy number of your kills that were first hunt in a stand for the year? Isn't it just a, a very significant portion of, yeah. of your kills? Yeah, I'd have to go back and, and update because there's been I, – I did have a stat uh, a couple of years ago. I'd have to go back and look at that. But, I mean, it was over 75% of the time it's the first sit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it, I mean, that, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, yeah. But there are definitely spots out there, and some guys will argue this, but there are definitely spots out there that you can, if the access is good and you're not bumping deer, you can you can hunt it repeatedly. It's just, it's those spots are kind of rare. Um, yeah. And what I what I do in those spots is I try to I try to identify when that area is. I have the highest percentage of, of getting that kill. You know, if it's late October, okay, fine. If I have really good access, yeah, if I have the opportunity, I might I might sit a spot like that three, four times in a row. I've done that before. And just really hammer that time frame, um, you know, when it's when it's your chances are best. But those those spots are hard to find. Um, but when you do, like, man, they can certainly be uh they can certainly be really good yeah i feel like one of the of course you've got to have your wind 
plan nailed down to get a spot you can hunt over and over and over again. But then also yeah. I feel like you need that access and entry or en- entry and exit nailed. So I, I have a spot like this where in the past I'd hunt one time and then trying to get out of there, you just blew out all sorts of deer. Every time you go out of there, you're going to blow out deer because it's right near food sources. Mm-hmm. Um, but I finally, and I've, this is well documented. I've talked about this many times in the past in the podcast. This is this little area where I killed Frank, um, where I found out that as long as I f- get someone to drive through these fields and spook off the deer or pick mm-hmm. me up or something like that, if I get that, I can get out of there and deer will be right back at it the next day. And so this year, the spot I killed Frank, I hunted either that, well, I hunted that ground blind where I, that I killed him out of, I don't know five times maybe before I shot him and then mm-hmm. hunted two other stands within, you know, like a four acre, five acre area. I mean, I hunted that little tiny four acre chunk a bunch. I mean, basically that's all I hunted because yeah. that's where yeah. it kept showing up. And I don't think I could have done that unless I'd really been careful of the wind and scent control and everything. And then had that exit strategy nailed. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, when, when I look at that place, I couldn't believe you were getting away with what you were getting away with. But that's the thing, you know, from experience, you know, that way better than I do, you know what you can get away with. And, and, and you are also taking some, maybe some risks, uh, you know, because, because, uh, you know, the deer was there and we didn't know how long he was going to be there. And, um, he had a history of, you know, not being a homebody. So you're maybe taking some risk, but you, you know what you can get away with on your farm and and it really paid off, man. That was, that was well done. Yeah. It was funny. Every time, you know, just like you said, I, I, I did think that every time I went in there, I was like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I'm going back in here again. This is the third time, or this is the fourth time, or this is the fifth time. So every time I'm thinking, this is the last time I'm going to be able to get away with this, but I have to do it because this is the only spot that's been showing up. And fortunately, um, was able to keep getting away with it more and more until finally he slipped up. But um, yeah. but I think when you find those little spots, you got to really figure out the nuances there that, that make them work. Otherwise, 99% of the time, that first sit, the second sit, that's really your golden opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times, you know, I got some, some guys, I know some friends, you know, that, that I'd call them hardcore hunters. And, you know, I think, I think that's where most of the mistakes are made is just not recognizing that. And, uh, you know, maybe jumping in a little too soon just because they got the itch to hunt and, you know, they got a food plot and, you know, or, or this is their, you know, their family farm or, or whatever. And, and they're just kind of going in with no real plan, with no real Intel just to sit. And, you know, if, if you don't have that preparation or don't gain that knowledge, uh, you know, that intimate knowledge of the areas you're hunting, I, I feel like you're at a real disadvantage and it's not easy to do because it does take some commitment and some time to really, uh, you know, to really learn those, like you said, those nuances of, of, of each area. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to, to do. It, it takes time, but man, it just, it just pays off huge. Yeah, it definitely does. So, so speaking then of, of kind of figuring out the nuances of spots and all that, that kind of transitions nicely. I feel like to your Ohio story, because this is kind of a situation where you learn something new this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ohio this year, um, Ohio's kind of been my nemesis, um, you know, you hear about how good Ohio is and 
you know, I've <laughs> that's that's one state I have struggled in to consistently, uh, you know, shoot big bucks in. And, and nice, I don't hunt it very It's much. nice to hear that. Makes me feel a little yeah. better <laughs> that you struggle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't hunt it much. Um, you know, I, I, I rarely hunt it over, you know, five or six times a year. That's probably a big part of it. And the area I hunt is northwestern Ohio, which is, you know, the county I'm in is in, I think, the bottom five. Uh, you know, for trophy bucks in Ohio. So it's, it's not a real great spot, but it's close to home and gives me another tag and another opportunity, but uh, had some luck there over the years for sure. Um, and it's consists of a lot of open ground. Like this is big farming country, uh, flat and the, the cover consists of really small woodlots anywhere from, you know, couple acres to you know if you had one that was like seven to ten acres that's a pretty big one um so it you know it low deer density uh you know the the buck quality i think can be good but i think the you know they just don't a lot of deer don't survive there they do a lot of deer drives and that and there's just not a lot of places for them to hunt but um there's a spot i hunt down there um and there's quite a few other people that, <clears throat> that hunt in this area. And I'll go back to early November. I was, I went out to this spot. Uh, there's a, 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 a nice little funnel there where I've had some luck in the past. I killed a buck there in 2008, uh, the same funnel. And I went in and I was wearing my ghillie suit and I was hunting from the ground. And basically I was just trying to stay mobile. Um, I wanted to kind of, you know, work on some ground hunting. I always try to try to, you know, I like to improve in different areas of, of my hunting and I hunt from the ground quite a bit. Um, and I, I like to do that more and more. It seems like I'm on the ground more and more, uh, these days, but anyway, I wanted to, you know, just do a lot of still hunting kind of glassing and, and see what I could come up with. And I knew there was a couple of good ones in the area. There was a, a 10 point and an eight point that I almost shot. I almost shot the eight point late October, right when we got back from Nebraska. Um, but the 10 point, um, looked like a, probably a, probably a three-year-old buck, um, if I had to guess, but, uh, he was one, you know, that I would have looked at hard too. And so anyway, the gist of that hunt was I came you know, as, as prime time was approaching, I was kind of like sneaking through, you know, the edge of this field and down into this cover. And I was just got tucked into this cover where I could see this real skinny field. You can't see it from the road at all. And there's a low spot. And a lot of times like at dusk deer will come out into this, this skinny field in this low spot. And I was just kind of working up to that edge and I was working up to that, to that. And I was just going to sit the rest of the night cause I hadn't seen anything prior and um i'm kind of like hunched over kind of sneaking down the edge just inside the cover and all of a sudden i see this deer break into the field and i'm like oh man and i got down on one knee and i put my glass up and it's that wide 10 and i was like oh man here he is and he's like angling right towards me and i'm like oh my gosh this is really gonna happen like i i didn't have other than a picture of this deer i didn't know anything about him i just know 
during the rut, there's few spots where, you know, if deer are moving, this is where they tend to go through. And, and through the skinny field on this low spot, they can't be seen from the horizon in any direction. So it's just a real popular spot for them to get from one patch of cover to the next. And I'm setting up or I'm set, I'm sitting there and he's kind of angling towards me, working his way into, into range. And he stops and he looks back from the way he came. I'm like, Oh man, there must be more deer coming or something. And then all of a sudden he just takes off and I'm like, Oh gosh, he like runs right by me. No shot. And then I'm just kind of sitting there like trying to figure out what happened. And then all of a sudden I see this guy walk out into the field uh, and he's carrying a crossbow and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like serious, like prime time, you know, walking around. And then I thought to myself, I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing the same thing, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't, I ended up talking to the guy. I mean, I obviously wasn't, wasn't mad at him. He didn't know. And he was just doing the same thing. He was just out kind of sneaking around and, um, I didn't know he was out there and he didn't know I was out there. So we exchanged numbers and he, uh, he was planning on gun hunting that area with his brother. Um, and he's kind of telling me, you know, what the, what their plan was and all that. So I actually came out the very next day to set up on that 10 point And I was like, okay, he came through here and this was a long shot. My confidence in this hunt was, was low, but it, I could hunt and it was the only thing I had really to go on. So I went back about, you know, 50 yards where that deer came through the cover and I set up and I didn't see a deer that night, but I did see a, a, his ladder stand. He had a big giant elaborate ladder stand and a scent wick 10 yards in front of it and a pea bottle and these giant set of rattling antlers up there. And I was like, Oh man, like <laughs> I was like, this, you know, I gotta, I gotta, rethink this area and, and get out of here so yeah. that hunt was a bust um and then i don't know a few weeks go by um the gun you, season is approaching keeping, and and were you keeping tabs on this at all as those few weeks went by like did you swing down and check cameras or anything at all or were you just waiting i think until later? i i checked cameras one time um I went and I, I don't remember exactly the day, but it was, it was probably a week or so after, um, hunting was winding down a little bit, you know, Michigan gun season was underway and, um, uh, you know, I was trying to get, you know, the kids out and, you know, just family stuff. And so hunting was winding down a little bit for me. I still had my Ohio tag, but I, I don't know, was satisfied with my season, but I wanted to, uh, you know, still give an honest effort in Ohio because I, I had some time. Um, but I wasn't really planning on gun hunting down there. Um, so anyway, I checked the camera, I don't know, a week or so after that, and there was nothing on it. So I just, I ended up pulling that camera and didn't hunt for, well, I didn't hunt again until the, the day I went out there um, and, and ended up getting my buck. But I went out on the 27th of November. And I was going to basically just go <clears throat> scout. I was going to put another camera up. And the gun season had started, uh, I can't remember what day it was. I think it was the 26th or the 25th of November. So this is, this is gun season had already started here. And this is a spot where, okay, it's a, um, a landowner that lets... He pretty much lets anybody hunt if you ask, but he's real particular about 
certain things. He he tells some people they can bow hunt. He tells some people they can gun hunt. And it's just kind of his way to kind of keep control of everything and quite a few people out there. But usually, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys that's allowed to bow hunt. So even during gun season, I can only bow hunt. But usually uh, during the archery season, not too bad. Maybe a couple guys out there. Um, so I was out there scouting. Um, and basically my plan was to try to find, you know, some cover, an area of the, of the property where, you know, maybe the pressure hadn't been so high. I could maybe get into some deer. I was going to pop a camera up. I didn't have a plan other than just to do some in-season scouting and, and try to find something to go off of. And, uh, what I did find out was that these guys had been doing quite a bit of deer drives and that's the kind of big thing down there during gun season, uh, deer drives, uh, you know, pretty much every day of the gun season. And I went and kind of scouted some areas where I thought maybe the deer had been pushed into and I just wasn't seeing much. Um, and pretty much was kind of going to call it quits on this, this particular property and go check out a new area. And I was actually on my way out, on my way out back to the car. So imagine a big rolling hill of cut beans and I was going, walking back and there's this, this low spot that kind of, I don't know, between two gradual hills, the beans kind of go down to this low spot and that low spot, it's almost like kind of like a little drainage connects the big, chunk of cover when I say big it's not big but the thickest chunk of cover where you know I had the encounter with the 10 point where those guys have been doing a lot of their drives um you know that sort of thing this drainage connects that all, all the way for about a I don't know about a half mile um through open ground completely open ground not a tree anywhere to this little patch of woods right up by the road and as I hit that low spot, I look and I see running tracks. I could see them from quite a ways away. And I get up there and I look and I'm like, man, these are big tracks. So don't have any idea what, you know, what the deer looks like. I had never seen these tracks before. I just, they looked fresh. The deer's running and it's heading towards that patch of cover up by the, up by the road, the little wood lot. So I just start walking them. I'm down low. So imagine I'm down low. You know, you can't, nothing can be seen when you're down in this little drainage from, you know, any road or any surrounding area. It's, it's, it's low enough where anything could travel down there and not be seen. And, uh, I just start following the tracks and I start approaching the woodlot and I'm like, gosh, I wonder, you know, I wonder if he's in here. And this is a woodlot. I feel embarrassed to say, like, I've never even looked at because (laughs) you can see it from, you can see it from the road and you know, those woods that almost look like, you know, like you can see into them, Yeah. you know, I mean, they're like real wide open. There's no undergrowth. So I just, now it never struck me as an area that a mature deer would ever use. And, and I don't think it is under normal circumstances. I've seen deer in there. I've seen a couple, like a doe and a fawn pop out of it at dusk. Um, but I've never even thought about hunting it. Um, just because of the lack of cover. Um, but there is, it's, it's kind of like a rolling hill, hardwoods open. And then at the very top, there is a little thicket there, but it's small. And it's, I mean, literally 
next to the road. And then on the other side, it's next to like a, 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 a small little highway kind of, it's not like a, just a little two lane, you know, country highway. So it's like real close to a lot of action. But anyway, I sneak up and I sneak up to this woodlot and I just kind of, you come down low and then you start coming up to the woodlot. So you're low and you're walking up to the edge and I peek in there and I see a deer in there about 60 yards in walking straight away from me. And all I see was just this giantly wide rack. And I immediately dropped to a knee and I was like, oh my gosh, like, was he just, did he just run out of there? Like when I was scouting, I didn't know, or like, was it from a deer drive? Has, has he been in there? I didn't know all these things were going through my mind and I just watch him and he walks down into this ravine. The, 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 the way this, this woods is set up, there's like a, a ravine that goes in there and then it kind of goes up into this hill to a knob on top where there's a thicket. And I see him walking down into the ravine and I was just, I had no bow, nothing. So I was like completely unprepared. I was basically on a scouting mission and that was it. So I, I just quickly backed out of there and I got to my car and <laughs> immediately got on my phone and looked like what the wind was going to be doing the next day or two and called the wife and figured out what the plan was. And I couldn't get out hunting until the 29th which was two days. And I looked at the wind and everything looked good. I think I, it wasn't perfect, but I thought I could, uh, if he was in there, I thought that I could, I could, if I can get in there without bumping him, I got a chance. I got a really good chance. In fact, I called my buddy Mike and I said, if he's in there, if he's in there and I can get set up without spooking him, I said, I'm going to, I think I'm going to shoot him. And, uh, I just felt like it's just one of those small woodlots where like, if you can get in there, I just, where's he going to go? You know, everything around him is, is wide open. I just don't see him, you know, go on out in a wide open field in the, in the middle of gun season. But the, the real question was, was he even going to be in there? Is he hiding out in there? Cause of the gun pressure, that was my, that was my instinct, you know, that he was hiding out in there. Why else would he, he'd be in that type of tiny woodlot. So um, I went in and I, I set up or I, initially my plan was I wore, I, I had my saddle on, but my initial thought was I'm not going to be able to get up into a tree because it's just going to be too risky. So I was just going to try to work my way low in that ravine again, get right onto the edge and then just kind of scoop my way in just a little bit, just so that I could see, cause it's so wide open in there. But as I got closer and closer, I was like, man, he's not going to be in this wide open stuff. He's going to be up in that thicket on the top, especially with the way the wind was blowing. The bl- my, my wind was blowing me towards that direction, but it was kind of like just missing it. And I said, if, if he's, you know, if he's going to be like on the leeward side, it's, he's going to be up in that thicket just on, off the other side. So that's kind of what I banked on. I was just like, you know, if he's in here that's where he's going to be, you know? And I kind of, I peeked in the woods and you can see, I mean, if there's deer in there, the that side of the woods, you can see forever. So I looked glassed all around. I was like, there's nothing. So he's either not in here or he's up in that thicket. So I was able to set up in a tree. I got set up with my sticks, got all set up on the, the saddle and everything <clears throat> felt real good. And I just waited and you know, nothing happens, nothing happens. I just keep glassing up at that thicket up there. You can't see, you can just see the edge where it gets thick. 
And then when I say thick, it's probably about the size of like a 1100 square foot house. I mean, it's not big. And then, and then it goes down the backside. So there's like a little, a little knob there and I'm sitting and then all of a sudden it's kind of dying down in the evening and I hear something walking up there. I hear footsteps like in the leaves and I'm like, Oh my gosh. I was like, he's, uh, I just said to myself, it's like, he's up there. I can't <laughs> believe this. <laughs> you know, it's just, I was, my adrenaline started just pouring and my heart was going. And I was like, I, for whatever reason, I got really worked up on this deer. I think because it was like such a, a long shot, you know, and such a, a, a unique opportunity. It just, I wasn't expecting anything like this during the middle of the Ohio gun season, you know? So I'm sitting there and I hear him moving around and then all of a sudden I see his antlers crest and then he starts walking. He comes over the top of the hill and then he starts walking down to that same ravine. I saw him walking down. So he, he comes down, he kind of side hills down to that ravine. So he's walking the, the, the exact opposite way that he was the, when I first saw him two days prior. And he's coming and I'm, I'm like right at the base of that ravine, like just up the other kind of creates a V, you know, like one, one hill goes down then there's a ravine and I'm on the other side hill so I can shoot to the ravine and shoot across. And he comes right down and he ends up, I don't know, 16 yards from me. And I shot him and he takes off going back down, back down the ravine and he tumbles over about, I don't know, 50 or 60 yards away. And that was it. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And this deer, uh, he, he was run down. He's an old deer. Um, I didn't know what he was at first, but he's an older deer that I have had some pictures of. And after talking with, uh, unfortunately, uh, word got out real quick that I had gotten this deer because those other guys were out gun hunting that day. And, not that I, you know, was intentionally going to try to hide it from anybody, but it just, you know, on, on areas where there's other guys hunting, it's a lot of times that can just lead towards, you know, some bad luck for you in the future. <laughs> yeah, but, I know um, what you mean. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I, there was no way around it because I was by myself and I went up and talked to the landowner and then those guys were there and, and they found out that I had shot it and we all went and got it and they had had pictures of that deer, um, from, uh, this year and last year, I had pictures of him last year. And one of those guys had actually shot that buck last year in the wow. neck with a gun. And there's a picture of him, uh, that was given to me with a giant wound in his neck. So it, he's a really cool deer. He's super wide, super long main beams, but man, he was in rough shape. He was in really rough shape. And I think I get the sense that he probably wouldn't have made it. Um, he's, his spine was sticking out. His hips were really bony. His, his body size looked really run down, like more than, more than you would, uh, expect. Well, like a, a buck that rutted hard, you know what I mean? He looked yeah. like he was just really in bad shape. So, wow. yeah, man, just, uh, crazy, crazy hunt. Um, you know, a lot of luck involved there, but, um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't give up on Ohio because I, 
was really close to just, you know, with all those guys out there and doing deer drives and stuff, like I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in the area, you know? Yeah. Well, well, you said this to me back uh, in October when we did our Nebraska podcast, when you said, uh, it's very humble of you to say that it was luck, but uh, very rarely is that really the, the case 100%. Usually there's, you know, this, the old adage is, what is it? Uh, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, um, I, I think that by doing all the preparation and knowing how to make the right decisions at the right times and how to adjust that, that kind of stuff is what allows you to take advantage of luck when it does come your way. Um, so yeah. as I, as I hear you say, kind of walk us through this whole, this whole season of yours. Um, and when I think about the fact, this is not an anomaly last year, you killed, I don't know, three, four bucks. And the year before that you did it. And the year before that you did it. And the year before you did that. Um, and, and as I've alluded to, you're always doing this just efficient is the only word I I keep coming back to just more efficiently than anyone I know. Um, and as I'm trying to pick this apart, listening to you and and from seeing what you're doing in the past, I'm going to try to nail down or let me give you a couple of things I think are like my takeaways from trying to learn as much as I can from you. And then you tell me what you would add. Um, okay. It seems like your success and the ability to, to achieve so so much hunting success without a big fancy property, without a whole ton of time, without a bunch of vacation days, is that, number one, your level of scouting in the off-season and in-season is just next level. Just more work goes into that than almost anything, probably more than the 99% of hunters out there. Number two, part of that preparation, part of that scouting is you have so many different options available that once the hunting season comes, you can cycle through them and you can be in the right spots at the right times based off experience, or you go in there either scouting or observing or hunting and then adjusting as you go through, and then you swing for the fence with many, many of your hunts. You're either kind of observing or you're going for the kill, and you know that you can go for that kill and it can be a high-risk hunt because you've got another spot you can go to and another spot you can go to and another spot you go to. So because of that, your hunts are disproportionately high odds for success compared to the average guy or girl because you are doing kill sets almost only. So the kill sets are learning, kill sets are learning. And you do that all year round and you don't give up and then you've gained experience over the years to be able to make the right adjustments when necessary. When I try to drill down at a, at a base level, if I'm trying to like oversimplify this, that's how maybe I would paint the Andy May success model. Um, did it get it right? Or what would you add? Yeah. If there's anything else no, that makes you so efficient. I think, I think, you know, I think that's it. I really do. Uh, I think you nailed it. Um, you know, all the, the scouting and the preparation, um, you know, it's, that's something I enjoy. So to me, that's just normal. And I, and I sometimes forget that I don't forget, I'm aware of it, but sometimes I, I don't always, I guess, think of that you know not everybody does that or not everybody does it as much um as i do and there certainly are guys that do and some guys that do it more but that that plays a huge role in uh in it and and probably that's the number one factor is just you know knowing your area and being prepared and having you know having like you said a lot of spots to go um 
you know, and, and it's kind of setting those up, it's kind of setting the, uh, the groundwork up for success. Um, and then, you know, I always try to, to locate, you know, four or five bucks. If I, if I'm just talking Michigan and Northern Ohio, cause I, I, I consider that kind of my home ground. Um, you know, I try to locate four or five bucks, the four or five best bucks I can find. Usually they're the most mature bucks and, you know, um, that's, those are the ones I, I tend to focus or, uh, you know, focus around and try to learn as much as I can. And, um, you know, if I only had one or two, uh, you know, I don't think you see as much success. Um, you know, I think, uh, our buddy Joe Elsinger said the same thing. I think he takes a similar approach. He tries to find like six or seven bucks to, to focus on knowing that he won't be successful on, you know, two or three or four of them, but he will be successful on a couple. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's, that goes a long way, you know, kind of doing the prep and the groundwork to make sure that your season is set up for success and not going into the season with, without a plan, you know, and just hoping that, you know, a big one is going to show up, you know, on your spot during the rut or, um, you know, I think, I think a guys would, would be, uh, would have a better chance of success at having a couple of scenarios set up like that. Yeah. Um, you know, utilize everything, utilize public, knock on doors, um, you know, do whatever you can to, um, to kind of set up several of those situations. And then, you know, I think, I think you'll be able to have more success doing it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, and we've talked about this in the past that, that I, I, I'm self-aware enough about uh, myself to be able to recognize that as a spot that I need to improve on. I, I've have fallen victim to sometimes settling for the couple spots I know I've got. And, um, although oh, they're usually pretty decent, um, mm. and then I have a few years found myself having that bite me in the butt. So I think that this conversation is just another great reminder for me, uh, that this off season got to keep on ramping it up, keep ramping it up every year. And to your point, always try to have plan for success. I think the way you put it there is nice. Plan for, have a plan for success that is not asking for luck. You're not depending on luck. You're not depending on it just happening this year. You've got a plan A. And if that doesn't work, there's plan B. And if that doesn't work, there's plan C, D, E, F. Um, I think if you want to be consistent, that's the right way to go about it. So, Andy, man, I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that you um, have been so generous with your time and, and knowledge and experience because it helped me a lot personally. And I guarantee you it's, help, it's helping a lot of people that have been listening over the last year and a half, two years since, um, since we've been able to start talking here. So, so thanks to that, Andy. Yeah, no problem, man. It's it's fun. I love talking about hunting and getting a little more comfortable with it on the podcast. So <laughs> anytime uh anytime you want to talk hunting, I'm I'm game. I think uh I think you're going to be stuck doing a bunch more cuz <laughs> I I enjoy these and uh man, if 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 every year if we hunt together, if our seasons go as well as it did this year, we're going to have to plan a whole lot more hunts together <laughs> cuz this is a good year for us. Yeah, no kidding. I was going to say like uh you know, we're talking about, you know, my season here, but, uh, you had a pretty magical season yourself. So I, I think you're, I think you're, uh, on the right track, man, for sure. You got it. You got a good game plan and I see, 
see uh, good seasons in your future for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you, like like both of us often like to say, you always just got to keep getting better, right? Always learning, always improving, and uh, that's right. That's that's my game plan moving forward. So, with that, Andy, I'll let you go. Let's talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you. And with that, the only thing I will add, just to echo what I mentioned at the top of the show, is Merry Christmas. Thank you. And until next year, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.